Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. Enjoy the podcast. Teaching is a rewarding profession, but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where ADAPT come in. We're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without the politics. So what makes ADAPT different? We're always apolitical and independent, specialised solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, ADAPT are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen ADAPT to protect their careers. Subscribe at adapt.org.uk today. ADAPT. Supporting school staff protecting careers. Good evening listeners and welcome to The Late Show on Teachers Talk Radio. It's eight o'clock, my name is Fanola Jackson and I will be with you until 9.30 and we will be chatting about character education tonight. Wow, what a glorious weekend we have had. Usually in October my weekends are spent in a big puffer jacket, wellies and gloves and I'm shivering on the touchline of rugby matches often with white fingers, but today I had the pleasure of watching Sunnam 2 at Whitchurch Rugby Club. Lovely crowd there with everybody looking out for each other, sun shining on us all. I'm often watching with my heart in my mouth, dreading any injuries, but thankfully today no one was carted off to A&E. So tonight we will be talking about character education in schools with a particular focus on what is termed courageous advocacy. And don't worry if you're sitting there thinking, what on earth is that? Because we've got um, two fabulous guests who are going to help us navigate through these tricky terms and see how we can embrace this and be successful with this in our schools and how we can create the conditions for our young people to have a voice and to stand up and challenge injustices in their local, national and global communities. And we're going to be having a think tonight about how we can grow communities of hope and courage and encourage our pupils to look beyond themselves. How do we nurture a culture where children understand and really value the importance of serving the common good? I have been fortunate enough to have been involved with some fantastic leadership training recently, which has really challenged me to think about my why and and not just what I do, but why I got into education in the first place. And of course, it's about children being at the centre. We all want to be fantastic teachers, don't we? And it's about overseeing a really rich curriculum. It's about learning and achieving and really thinking about what kind of children do we want leaving our schools. And coming back to that calling, it's all about sort of the wider issues, isn't it? And children flourishing and what conditions need to be in place in order for that to happen. So stay tuned as I will be introducing not one, but two fabulous guests this evening. And I am so excited for tonight's show. I'm delighted that we finally found a date in which to get together and talk about something which I know all three of us are passionate about. Providing opportunities for character development and to nurture and encourage children to become wonderful human beings 
who are really going to give back to the world and challenge injustice, um, which I'm sure you'll agree is a huge privilege, privilege and surely what schools should be striving to do. And this to me really is the important stuff. So without further ado, I'm going to see if my guests have logged on. Um, and should we, should we start with you, Caroline, uh, as you are now in the room and um, very excited that you uh, are here today. And you are the mastermind, aren't you, behind um, a joint publication between the Church of England and uh, Christian Aid, um, the international development charity. And this uh, publication is all about courageous advocacy. So, Caroline, you worked for many years, didn't you, as, um, at Christian Aid, heading up the Global Neighbours Initiative. Um, you're also a highly respected RE advisor. In fact, I think that's how we first met, wasn't it? Um, in, in the uh, wonderful RE family land. And recently you've gone back into school. So you're very much um, on the ground, aren't you? And in touch with the key challenges and opportunities. So big welcome to you, Caroline. It's wonderful to have you. So please, could you introduce yourself with a little bit more detail for our listeners? Sure, of course. It's lovely to be with you. Um, yes, my background is in secondary RE teaching, and I did that for about 10 years and uh, led as a head of department and so on, and then moved into this advisory work. Um, I work as a, an RE advisor for the Diocese of Durham and Newcastle, where we have a joint team across those two Church of England dioceses. And I support schools with RE and collective worship and SIAMS, the church school inspection. Um, and then alongside that work, I worked for Christian Aid, as you said, uh, running the Global Neighbours um, Accreditation Scheme, which was really developed to support this new area of courageous advocacy and be a, a sort of toolkit uh, for schools to be able to, to do the work practically. And then, yes, I, I recently left Christian Aid to go back into the classroom and put into action some of the, um, the courageous advocacy work that I had written about um, in the document that we're talking about tonight, but also um in the christian aid global neighbors work that i was doing so it's been lovely it was been lovely to get back into school and actually do some of that work myself um on the other side again oh that's brilliant thank you caroline and um and my second guest delighted to have louisa harrop um i was lucky enough to have some training gosh only this week from louisa and like caroline louisa's passion intelligence, commitment shines so brightly. Um, so I'm delighted that um, you're joining us this evening. And Louisa is a Christian distinctiveness advisor for Litchfield Diocese, supporting a huge number of schools, both primary and secondary, to really help them live out their visions and values and really help offer pupils that richness um, and breadth. So Louisa, please, could you introduce yourself and tell us a little more about the roles you've had in the past and what you currently do? Yeah, of course. Uh, thank you so much for a really lovely warm welcome to Nola and also great to connect with Caroline. Uh, Caroline and I studied at Durham, we're both theologians, so it's really nice to uh, have that shared uh, beginning point. So yeah, my, my journey is a, is a similar one to Caroline's in as much as Ari is my bag, it's my thing and always has been. Um, currently, I'm a CDA, a Christian uh, Distinctiveness Advisor for Litchfield, but I also have taught um, RE in a number of different contexts, um, secondary, primary and middle school, which is, I know, quite uh, unusual. Uh, I also had the privilege of working at Birmingham Cathedral, which was fantastic, welcoming um, 
young people, children, families into the beautiful cathedral. Um, so I think in terms of my background, uh, it's it's been a really rich one in the RE world, the RE family, as you say, Fanola, and uh, it's a pleasure to be with you tonight. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you so much. Um, and Caroline, if we could start um, with you with with this courageous advocacy document um, that I mentioned earlier on at the start of the show, and could you tell the listeners a little bit more about um, why? was this report written? Why was it so pertinent to um, get two organisations together to produce this report? Why did you decide to put this together at the time that you did? And perhaps it would be helpful to start by defining courageous advocacy too, please. Yeah, of course. So back in, um, in 2018, the Church of England SIAMS inspection schedule, as it was called then, uh, was uh, relaunched. So SIAMS stands for the Statutory Inspection of Anglican and Methodist Schools. And um, as part of the relaunch of that framework, um, courageous advocacy was a new term that entered into that. And as part of all of that discussion leading up to that in 2018, um, the Church of England and, and Christian Aid sort of partnered together in thinking about how they could support schools to move beyond charitable um, fundraising towards something that we've now termed courageous advocacy. Um, for a long time, um, I would say always, schools have been places where um, we're very good at fundraising and doing charity work and trying to look outwards. Um, but often the children and young people are not necessarily um, given that background information to understand what the root causes of some of the issues might be, or even to understand that, yes, their fundraising was great and that was a, a good thing to achieve, but that the overarching underlying problems have not been solved. And so courageous advocacy as a term was a way of trying to move beyond charity towards justice. And I imagine we'll talk more about that. In terms of a definition, a working definition of courageous advocacy, the one that I um, wrote in the, the document is this, that when we talk about courageous advocacy, we are referring to the act of speaking out against an issue of injustice, often on behalf of those whose voice is not heard. And obviously speaking out at whatever level that takes place requires an element and sometimes a great deal of courage. So to become a courageous advocate, you need to be informed about an issue, but you've got to move beyond simply knowing about it to then saying something about it and doing something. So courageous advocacy is this idea of of taking action to challenge injustice and become an agent of change. That's a brilliant definition. Thank you so much. Really, really helpful. And and Louisa, because you, you're on the ground going out to a huge number of schools, do you see um, this courageous advocacy as being something that school leaders are embracing and, and really living out and really getting behind? Or or does it some, you know, remain somewhat of an elusive term that's giving leaders a bit of a headache at the moment? Well, I think that's really interesting. I think if we go back to this sense of character education and where courageous advocacy fits uh, Fanola into that, um, I think it's a useful starting point to always think about the etymology. 
Um, because otherwise we are holding in tension this kind of very nuanced sense, a term that we kind of have banded around, but with often um, a lack of that kind of tangible on the ground as we talk about. So when we're thinking about this sense of courageous advocacy, there is this really important um, positioning of, of character education. And I think certainly that is what leaders are uh, driving, they are inspired to do. So it all sits really well in a genuine sense of this is going to make a difference. And perhaps it might just be useful for Nola if I could um, perhaps loosely define where we where we sit in terms of character education. Oh, um, yes, I really, do. Well, I, I just really like the Jubilee um, Centre's definition. You know, they've set up um, at Birmingham University, it's Professor James Arthur. And they talk about character education, which, of course, you know, when we're talking about courageous advocacy, um, it's, it's this umbrella term. And they talk about it encompassing the school's ethos, their culture, relationships, curriculum and enrichment provision. So everything that Caroline's talking about, about this being a lived out experience as opposed to being something of a tick box exercise. Um, it, you know, it's, it's essential for leaders that they've grasped that. And, and perhaps an, a nice way of, of seeing this is this sense from the Greek that character was originally used to, to note a mark impressed upon a coin. Uh, so when we're thinking about being a courageous advocate, when we're thinking about what leaders might understand by this, I think it is really important that we understand um, this is just another thing that leaders have got to um, be, be mindful of um, and is it something valuable and useful and I would say um, a resounding yes am I seeing it in schools in our diocese and beyond absolutely um, which is a really exciting thing to be able to say um, an exciting time I think for educational practitioners at the moment. That's really encouraging to hear isn't it and and Caroline, the report mentions that um, courageous advocacy, I think you call it indeed a long-term legacy and an endowment to future generations. So that's really sort of telling me that's coming away from a sort of tick box culture and, and really doing something a lot more impactful and meaningful and sounds incredibly exciting but have to be honest, incredibly ambitious. So um, please could you expand a little more on this? Ambitious is what we're all about, isn't it? Um, <laughs> so we want to move beyond um, offering simple solutions to solving complex problems. And I think for a long time, um, our sort of charitable work in schools has been offering simple solutions to complex problems. You know, if you raise money for this particular charity that will solve the problem um, what we want is for our young people and our children to understand that the world is much more complicated than that and that um, this work is much more nuanced than that and at age appropriate levels we want our children and young people to understand that fundraising on its own is not going to solve the root causes of poverty um, it is not going to tackle the structures that keep people living in poverty. Um, that, uh, that what we need to be doing is to uncover and consider the structural causes and to look at those complexities, those things that cause injustice 
in order that we can tackle those root causes rather than simply soothing symptoms alone. And in doing that, in changing the culture away from giving money and charity fundraising to a much broader and richer thinking about root causes, tackling the systemic issues, the systemic causes of injustice, that that culture change should be a long-term legacy in the sense that, yes, charities need money. You know, I worked for Christian Aid. I'm not going to say they don't need charitable fundraising. However, alongside that charitable fundraising, organisations like Christian Aid are also pressure groups. They are also campaigning organisations. They also are lobbying the government. They are also um, doing advocacy work and that those two things go hand in hand. And unless our children and young people grasp that, then that long-term legacy cannot be in the sense that we will simply be soothing symptoms and never getting to the root causes. We want to be, and Christian Aid as an organisation, when I was working for them, we used to talk about wanting to, to um, work ourselves out of business. You know, We want to be in a situation where we don't need food banks anymore, where we don't need um, these sort of international NGOs anymore because that systemic work has been done. And I know that that is, um, that, that, that is incredibly ambitious. But uh, we, we, ha we need to keep hope. Um, and as church schools, in particular in our context, uh, we are people who um, have a gospel message that at its heart is hope. And so we continue to try and to strive and to hope um, that we can, we can work for a fairer, more joyful and more just world. That's wonderful, Caroline. And, and you know, before I um, logged on this evening, I was uh, writing a few notes for a worship I'm doing tomorrow morning at my school where um, I'm going to be talking about food banks and our harvest service coming up on Wednesday and how it would be lovely to um, support a local food bank. But I've madly scribbled down your fabulous phrase, work ourselves out of business. I think that is brilliant. And I will certainly be sharing that tomorrow because that, that's really um, kind of what an incredibly ambitious um, aim. But but why shouldn't that be achievable? It's, it's a really bold vision, isn't it? I love that. Um, you know, and it's a really exciting notion as well as a bold vision for children to get involved with the agency because they're really participating, like you said, in their own futures. And we want to see that sense of equitable agency, not just in schools, not just in our schools, but locally and further out globally as well. Um, so I think it's it's you, you've summarised that perfectly of how we can ensure that it isn't just a dream, but a reality. Um, and something that we're continually striving for, not just kicking the can down the road. So um, that's great. And I, I'm someone who absolutely loves a quote. I probably drove my colleagues mad um, during the pandemic sending out quotes. But for me, I derive a lot of inspiration from them. And they can provide a great opportunity for a bit of reflection and discussion. And in the Courageous Advocacy document, um, there's a brilliant quote um, from Archbishop Desmond Tutu, isn't there? Um, there comes a point where we have to stop pulling people out of the river. We need to go upstream um, and find out uh, 
why they are falling in. And just want to know if, well, either of you could share some thoughts on this um, and look at the reality of doing that in schools um, with children and young people. Fanola, perhaps if I could um, start, I think that's a fantastic quote. And I think it's important that we are aware that the young people that we are working uh, with in schools are facing challenges and difficulties. So it's important to think about the context and the starting point where we are at, where our schools are at, in order that we are in a strong position to be able to challenge and to be able to challenge well. Um, I like a quote just as much as you, Fanola, and I know Barack Obama talks about this sense of disagreeing agreeably. Um, I think our children need to have the tools, the skills, those competencies, but I also think we need to address um, what, we, what we tackle perhaps in terms of when we'd express this home is where one starts from and home is where the heart is. Um, I was quite shocked to read the Good Childhood Report in, uh, just recently published by the Children's Society, looking at um, our children, children aged 10 to 17, and the sense that happiness with life um, as a whole as a whole has decreased since the surveys began in 20, um, 2009. And whilst that can be seen to be quite a negative pe a picture, 10% of children had low well-being, I think this is exactly the time to be challenging, to be supporting, to be walking alongside our leaders and our schools, um, not only to think outside, to think about others and beyond, but also to think about our own context and the challenges that we face. So I think it's a multifaceted um, approach to how we um, embrace and respond to a quote like this. Um, if we think about character education, the more people that exhibit good character and virtues, perhaps the healthier our society. Now that's quite pie in the sky. Are we seeing that in the classroom? Are we seeing that um, in the schools that we're working at? Well, I certainly am, and I'm sure Caroline is, in terms of responses. I know our schools are trying to educate and really talk from the heart, listening from the heart about what they're hearing, what they're seeing, both within the context and without. Um, a school that I work with, in fact, a federation of schools, um, is doing something fantastic to align with the National Trust, this 50 things to do. And they pose various opportunities, various, if you like, tick box activities to some extent, but there's a purpose and a heart behind those. And that's been really revolutionary in helping to challenge, to change and to transform, not only um, as a school community, but looking outwards as well. That's really insightful. Thank you. And, um, you know, I think it's really great that you brought up that that report and, and the challenges that are certainly around at the moment. And, um, you know, and certainly so that whole sort of notion of social media and technologies. And, you know, we hear a lot of negativity, don't we, about that. But, um, you know, could that be used as a force for good to inspire and to really encourage the very best of those opportunities that help develop character education I wonder as well I, th I think there's definitely some work to be done on that isn't there um, just before we we break for the news which um, will be a very interesting segment sort of um, sharing some of the uh, challenges that are out there at the moment Caroline would you like to jump in and, sh and say anything about that quote or, or indeed what uh, Louise has been sharing 
Yeah, thank you. I think the um, that was really interesting what Louisa was saying there about uh, pupils' well-being and and so on. And for me, engaging pupils in this sort of work of helping them to um, see their own agency can be um, a really positive thing for well-being. You know, there are lots of um, there's lots of data about how volunteering can increase a sense of well-being and and um, and particularly for young people, giving them that opportunity to look beyond themselves to see that they have agency, that they can make a difference in their own lives and also in the lives of others. Um, can be incredibly powerful. And so thinking about this quote of there comes a point where we need to stop pulling people out of the river, we need to go upstream to find out why they are falling in. Um, in terms of courageous advocacy, it just kind of brings it all together. And that's a quote that I, I use a lot with schools as I help them to consider how do we move beyond the kind of the sort of traditional responses that we we give like the cake sales and and don't get me wrong I love a cake um but those kind of bake sales and so on how do we move beyond that to look to ways to engage with with issues of global injustice and for some young people um these issues of global injustice like climate justice and so on that I'm sure we'll talk about later are significant for them and are impacting their well-being. So giving them an opportunity to see their own agency and to take action can be a really powerful tool to, to give them hope in the midst of some of that as well. That's brilliant, isn't it? And, you know, and I was thinking of all, you know, the negative influences that unfortunately many young people are exposed to and the controversy surrounding Andrew Tate and the like, but wouldn't it be wonderful if we had some really inspirational figures speaking out and you know um on social media and the like really encouraging young people to look beyond themselves and to really um see the good and the benefits of really getting behind something that, that's meaningful i think there's some exciting work that could be done there but stay tuned everyone and we will be right back teaching is a rewarding profession but it comes with its fair share of challenges that's where adapt come in we're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without the politics. So what makes EDAPT different? We're always apolitical and independent, specialised solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, EDAPT are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen EDAPT to protect their careers. Subscribe at edapt.org.uk today. EDAPT. Supporting school staff. Protecting careers. This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Schools may have to redraw budgets for the next academic year after what the BBC describes as a blunder by the Department for Education. A miscalculation came about because the number of pupils was underestimated. An original plan of a 2.7% increase per pupil in England for the academic year 2024-25 
has now had to be revised to 1.9%. The government has ordered an inquiry and issued an apology. In a letter to the Education Select Committee, the DfE stressed that this was not a reduction to the total school's budget, but said the amount promised had to be recalculated because an undiscovered error made by DfE officials during initial calculations. The BBC calculated that keeping the original planned increase of 2.7% would have meant the government having to find a further £370 million to top up the overall school's budget. Jeff Barton, General Secretary of the Association of School and College Leaders, said the error was unfortunate and frustrating and that it was likely that trusts and local authorities will have used the incorrect figures and will now need to revise budgets. A-levels and T-levels will be replaced by a new qualification for school leavers in England, according to new plans announced by PM Rishi Sunak. The plans reported across media outlets would see 16 to 19 year olds study around five subjects as part of the so-called Advanced British Standard, including some maths to 18. The plans prompted many to question how this would be delivered, but Mr Sunak said that more teachers would be recruited and that changes would be aimed at pupils who were currently only just starting primary schools. He also announced that the changes would see students spend 195 hours more with a teacher. He also promised an additional £600 million over two years to increase training of maths teachers and funding for those studying for compulsory GCSE resits in colleges in maths and English. The plans will go to consultation for possible implementation around 2033-34. to 34. But with a general election on the horizon, many may feel they are unlikely to happen should there be a change in government. The early years and primary sectors have responded to reports in the Times that children will have to brush their teeth under supervision in schools. According to the paper, Labour is planning to use schools and nurseries to help save NHS dentistry and that the party would introduce supervised toothbrushing in schools for children aged 3 to 5, and this would be prioritised in areas with the highest incidence of childhood tooth decay. Whilst dental associations and charities welcomed the proposals, Paul Whiteman of the NAHT said the union had serious reservations about how such a policy could even work, and that it is not the role of teachers to make sure children brush their teeth. Schools Week reports on comments made by Amanda Spielman, Chief Inspector of Schools in England, at the Confederation of Schools Trust's annual conference. Ms Spielman was responding to questions about a rise in complaints to Ofsted about schools. In 2017-18, to 18, there were around 11,500 complaints, but in 2021-22, to 22, this had risen to almost 15,000. Ms Spielman said that post-Covid people were grumpier, and have a greater propensity to put pen to paper. But the complaints leading to early inspection numbers weren't any higher than previously. She said there was no question more complaints were coming through, but that she was sceptical it reflected any real change. In Wales, the BBC reports on an ongoing school-run parking route. Residents of a street in Bridgend say issues at pick-up and drop-off times are persisting 18 months after a protest saw people living in a cul-de-sac blocking the road. They describe the scene outside of a nearby primary school as carnage and claim cars and property have been damaged. Residents have been blocked in their driveways 
and this has led to rising tempers. This is a perennial problem across the country for many who live near primary schools. The row in Wales is unlikely to be resolved anytime soon. Finally, student housing has made the news again this week, this time in Salford, where, according to BBC Local News, a major student letting company has been accused of falsifying a tenant's signature on a document to defend a property's filthy conditions. The company is alleged to have added the signature to a waiver saying tenants were aware the property had outstanding maintenance when they moved in. But tenants said they had been told issues would be resolved beforehand. Upon arrival, they discovered a broken fire door, a boarded up window and slugs and cockroach infestations. An investigation into the allegations of forgery has been launched. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. So welcome back everyone and just while the news was playing I was just having a little look through the text and there's so many nice messages from our lovely listeners tonight um, and one from Claire in Southport saying great show and she's posed a question she said it was fascinating to hear about um, the move from uh, charity uh, moving beyond charity she's saying and, and she said you know how would you like schools to get started with getting to grips with um, encouraging children to look at these root causes of poverty and, and moving, as you said, beyond charity to justice. Have you got any top tips or advice on, on how to do that the right way is what Claire's asking. Would Caroline like to answer that one? That's a great question, Claire. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, absolutely. For me, it's about looking at the opportunities within your curriculum. So it's not about adding a new stream or a new subject or anything like that. It's about looking at your curriculum and thinking about where are the areas where we could add another perspective or look at it with through another lens. So um, I'm not sure whether you're primary or secondary, um, but the principles are, are absolutely the same, having done it in both uh, contexts. It would be about thinking maybe in, uh, in your history topic where you're um, thinking about colonization, for example, and then taking an opportunity to think about the long-term legacies of colonization um, and the long-term legacies of racism and um and the fact that a lot of the work that we might now do in kind of charity work actually falls into a sort of white saviorism uh, context so thinking about um are the people who um who are experiencing poverty for example is it them that's leading the work or are we giving the impression to our young people that uh, perhaps those those people don't have agency of their own in a sort of a much simpler example would be you know you're looking at your uh, oceans um in key stage one or in key stage two in your geography you'll be looking at um you won't get away with the idea of plastics and uh, not coming up in there because that's something that children and young people are really passionate about 
and then it will be thinking about and um, what action they could take so not just sort of raising the money but what action could they take could they write to um who, who has the power to make some changes in this about for example single-use plastic could they write to a politician but what about writing to a local business and looking or, or taking them on the trip to their the local supermarket that um the children would go to in your area having a little look at how things are packaged and, and having a discussion with the store manager there as their first steps of seeing that um, that they can um, have a voice. And so for me, also another really good way of doing it would be to, to try and join in with um, a campaign that's already happening. So for example, every February, there's a campaign called Show the Love and that is run by the Climate Coalition. And it is all about, um, as you would imagine, about climate change. And so they encourage people to think about what is it about our world that they love that might be lost due to climate, um, to due to the climate change. And uh, people are encouraged to create green hearts and, and wear, wear their green heart that week. And then maybe to put that on social media and to raise awareness of that. But then you could also send a green heart to your local MP. You could do something called craftivism, which I'm sure Fanula can talk about from her own experience, which is activism plus craft. Maybe create a little uh, green heart and send that over to your MP with a letter from the children explaining uh, what it is about and what they would like their MP to do. So they would like them to ask a particular question in Parliament about some of these issues. That's something that we joined in with last year in my school. Um, and so all of the children from early years to year six all created a green heart and then um, and we created a display and we invited in the parents and we put it on Twitter and I called X and um, and then the older children decided to write to our MP. So each of them created a little heart, put it on a postcard and then they wrote to the MP about something that really worried them or something they enjoy about our world that is at risk because of climate change. And the MP wrote back um, and then she came in for a Q&A and the kids got to ask her lots of questions about what she was going to, to do on our behalf in our county, um, representing us. What was she going to do about these issues that we really cared about? And so for the children there, they were joining in with a larger movement. They could see that they had an individual voice in their postcard or asking their question, but that if they added their voices with other people's voices, that really increased the agency and, and made their voice, their voice louder, as it were, so that they're more likely to be heard and, and be listened to. And, and then inviting the MP in, um, even if you can't get your MP in, you you know that if you write to them, they they are very likely to write back, um, because you know you are their constituents and and they want people to they want to engage with those who are are living in their constituency, and um, and by inviting our MP in, that also helped the children to to understand a little bit more about how power works. You know, they could express their concerns to me, and they could stick up posters in the village but actually taking it that step further to, to understanding that who has the power to influence decisions and understand that actually if we engage with our MP, our MP can take our views to Parliament and then if that be heard on a bigger platform. I could talk more and more about that, um, but I'll let uh, Fanola jump back in. <laughs> 
Oh, it's it, you know, it's so wonderful, Caroline, to hear about these examples and and that have really worked and translated across school. You know, from children in reception at four to year sixes, all working on these projects and approaching power holders. Um, it's just fantastic. It's so nice to hear of this and, and, you, and you're certainly inspiring me and no doubt many, many of our listeners because when you read these documents and, and sometimes you think, oh gosh, but it's so so overwhelming and and you can often find reasons not to do things. But but when you hear of um, how another school have, have done it and um, made it a reality and how the children have engaged and what they've got out of it. It's really, really inspiring and encouraging. And Louisa, I don't know whether you've got any examples you can share um, from the schools that, that you work with, anything that's like sort of stuck out as being brilliant. Yeah, certainly. And thank you, Caroline. Such an insightful response. Um, I think for me, it always goes back to rich questioning and aspiration. Um, and questioning is such a fantastic tool, regardless of age. Uh, Something which I worked on with a colleague of mine was based on the philosopher Nietzsche's idea of challenging stormy seas. So we uh, decided that our older students, so these were key stage three, needed um, to just challenge their own thinking and mindset. So we created a, it was a a fantastic and really simple resource called a Dangerous Conversation Resource. And it was a poignant, punchy question And what the young people had to do was think about that conversation starter and then respond to it. But not just that, then their work was shared with the person next to them for them to respond to the uh, response of the, the initial response. So what we started to develop was this real sense of back and forth, a dialogue. And often what would happen, you would see young people engaging with a conversation and challenging their own ideas or being challenged. So questioning for me is always, always at the heart of everything we do. And I think just to reiterate, reiterate what Caroline has said, um, and perhaps using the example of my own, my own father's experience as a head teacher, is that we have to be so careful that we don't isolate um, this sense of fundraising, which is what Caroline's been talking about with the lived reality. So I know um, that my dad saw children uh, when he was in Sierra Leone drinking water that uh, was being used uh, for for the washing and toileting um, of people, of of animals. And the people who were doing the fundraising hadn't had the awareness. So that awareness, that really rich curriculum, which highlights that which Caroline has said, uh, not being afraid to challenge those misconceptions, those assumptions and those stereotypes. Um, And for fear of getting some um, raised eyebrows, Ofsted talk about this sense of so what. Um, And I know schools where they actually get the children to write down so what, why are we learning about this? Why are we doing this? What's the purpose? Um, And for me, that's at the heart um, of, of that rich curriculum and those wider opportunities. Oh, thank you both so much. You, you've both articulated this real importance of empowering young people to challenge and to critique. And, you know, you've given wonderful examples of how that can actually be in schools, because, um, you know, first hearing of that, you might think, gosh, that's quite terrifying. I don't know how to approach it. It could go wrong. But actually, the benefits are enormous, aren't they? And, you know, going back to what you said, Louisa, about questioning being so key. And, you know, I think this inquiry approach 
really is the best, isn't it, to encourage sort of a bolder and deeper thinking. And yet, you know, what would you say to to a school who feels a bit nervous about this and, and putting a bit more control of the direction over to the pupils? Um, because obviously the benefits are worth it. But I'm just thinking in terms of, you know, would you approach it through, well, RE is such a fabulous subject for really opening up that rich discussion um what would you or how would you um start that dialogue with school staff to really get them going on that work yeah of course so um it is something that i am incredibly passionate about when i'm working with schools and advising um it's certainly something which my colleagues laugh about because i always suggest questioning simplicity is a really good starting point so one school that i'm working with has really taken this idea um, and made it their own and kept it simple so i know the head teacher will introduce a question during their collective worship time together as a school the questions can be um thunks so for example is a watermelon still a watermelon uh, if you take the water out of it um, and the, the sense is trying to develop this back and forth, this easy, simplistic dialogue um, at a starting point like that, something fun and playful, because we know that play and we know that narrative and stories work with our young people. And the hope is and then developing this sense of philosophical thought and questioning, we move towards being able to say, OK, we, we've got into a pattern of doing this then we can start to really think about some meaty, uh, challenging topics. So what's happened at this school, it has been transformational and it's been widespread across our diocese, is that the head there has then um, included that on her newsletter. She's included that then when she's talking to parents. The children are then feeding back on their answers to these thunks, to these big questions. And it's really been fascinating when I've gone into work with the young people and the team just to hear about how that's really helped uh, their, their thinking, their thought process. Equally, that can be done in RE, and I've seen it worked, um, done really well. And, and when I've worked myself as an RE teacher, it would often be my starting point. Because if we're trying to develop a sense of thinking and feeling that goes beyond just a tick box, then what you hope to do is to instill a sense that the young people don't have to always have an answer, the right answer. Um, I love Paul Ricoeur, who talks about this sense that the good life is with and for others in just institutions. And I think when young people can see that they are not getting it wrong, but they're starting to, to develop their, their own thoughts and feelings, that's very powerful. So a simple um, funk sheet at the start of a lesson that can be worked through um, at the young person's pace is a great and simple way to do things. The Philosophy Foundation's philosophy games are really great fun and a useful way in. Um, so those are just some very easy um, and I think easily accessible uh, resources that can be used. And, and RE is a fantastic way in. I mean, I can talk about RE extensively because it's my thing. I love it. Um, and I think it's, uh, it's always a fantastic place to start. But as Caroline has said, cross-curricular, this is important to talk about it, um, in all places at all times. So that it's at the heart of everything we're doing, philosophy and our ethics. That's brilliant, Louisa. I'm just thinking, wouldn't it be wonderful if philosophy was given the same weighting in primary as English and maths? Because it's such an important discipline, isn't it? And it, and it teaches children so much. 
Um, yeah. I definitely think we need to look doing that. Um, it's so exciting looking at the um, the tweets coming through and the texts coming through. And I just have to share this one, Louisa, um, because this is for you. It says, great debate and a big thumbs up. So that's great, isn't it? And it says, Louisa was also able to reach out to young mothers in her educational outreach work at Birmingham Cathedral. <laughs> Well, that's a very nice. Um, that's a very nice yes. comment. Thank you. <laughs> so that's lovely, isn't it? Um, but no, thank you for sharing those really sort of tangible examples because because it's lovely to hear what other schools are doing and 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 how that achieving success with with something that um, you know could could be seen as a little bit tricky. Um, and going back, Caroline, to the courageous advocacy report. Um, there's lots and lots of great case studies in there. So highly recommend somebody having a flick through um, if they would like to be inspired. And what, what would you like other schools um, to do about, you know, you, you mentioned climate change and, and climate justice before. Um, and that's such a hot topic, isn't it, at the moment? And you mentioned, your, you know, the Green Hearts and the um, initiative that takes place in February. And and what would you say to listeners tonight who might be feeling like they they just don't know where to start with that because, you know, things like eco-anxiety or um, they're seeing some perhaps quite angry protesters on, on, on TV and how would you sort of advise schools with we're starting that so it's dealt with really really well teaching is a rewarding profession but it comes with its fair share of challenges that's where adapt come in we're not your typical trade union but instead a modern apolitical alternative offering expert legal employment and mental health support protection without the politics so what makes adapt different we're always apolitical and independent specialised solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, EDAPT are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen EDAPT to protect their careers. Subscribe at edapt.org.uk today. EDAPT. Supporting school staff. Protecting careers. Great question. Um, I <laughs> I think going with um, I, w- I was just thinking very much about what Louisa was talking about there about asking those big questions and just taking us back one step about where to start with some of this work. If, for example, you're a school that has done lots of fundraising and that's part of your calendar every year, how about asking some of some questions about that? How about asking, is there anything we could do in conjunction with our fundraising activity? Could we learn more about the companies that we're buying from? Could we learn more about the control of our elected leaders? Or... Um, if we're raising money for project, are the beneficiaries, as it were, seen as real people with dignity and respect? Can we find out more about them beyond their situation? Um, and, and so that would then enrich your fundraising work. And I suppose in terms of the question you're asking me about, about where to start and so on, I guess for me, it it's, goes back to really good education. Um, and so... It, it, you know you can you can raise money but the children and young people might not learn very much through that activity so what is it that we can do to make it a really enriching 
educational experience where they are thinking critically, where they are analyzing, where they are evaluating. And so for me, that is, is where to start. In terms of things like climate justice, and, I, and I'll just explain the, that term, um, because everyone I'm sure will be aware of the idea of climate change, but they might not have heard of that term climate justice. The idea of, of climate justice is to, to really emphasize the idea that climate change is, a really, is really a justice issue in the sense that those who are impacted first and worst um, by climate change are those who have done the least to cause it. So those people who are living in countries that are not the big polluters, that are, um, is those people who are suffering the effects of climate change much more acutely with perhaps sometimes uh, less resilience to be able to uh, respond to that. And so that's why I'm using this term climate justice. And so in terms of, you know, climate is something that our young people are really engaged in and, and are really aware of. And even from our very youngest children in Key Stage 1, talking about things like recycling and, and all the rest of it, it's really important. Absolutely right. And I'm glad you raised that idea of eco-anxiety. It's really important to, to bear eco-anxiety in mind when when thinking about this work um and, you know there's lots of information that you can find on eco-anxiety but the key messaging i would be would get people to think about is to avoid that the language of saving the world that you know you can save the world um because that then puts the onus on the young person that it's their responsibility to save the world um and that perhaps it, they have um that they, it's their responsibility um sorry they are responsible for the fact that the world needs saving as it were in inverted commas so just being really careful about that language um that uh, avoiding that kind of saviorism type of language which can then um create eco-anxiety because it puts that pressure on a child and oh i didn't recycle enough for i'm not doing this and i'm not doing that and we don't want our young people to to feel like that because ultimately it's not them that have caused um this issue and so taking um so yes taking personal action and talking about lifestyle changes and all of that that's all really great and thinking about what you could do as a school community that's all really great but helping children in terms of eco-anxiety to move beyond what they personally can do to think about actually it is governments that need to make the changes that will have the biggest impact on tackling climate change so it's governments that need to to think about their the uh, carbon emissions and so on of their countries um and of of keeping the promises that they've made at various cops um and uh, so for me it's about trying to get that balance and, and helping young people to see climate change as a justice issue helping them to see that um that it's yes it's impacting people in this country but that it is impacting people all around the world, and and the idea of global neighbours, that that Christian aid scheme that I used to, uh, that I used to lead on, is that that we are all neighbours and that we are all interconnected, um, and that we, uh, you know, in the in the courageous advocacy document, I quote from, um, 
and the Church of England's vision for education, the idea that we are humanity as co-humanity, that we are inextricably involved with others. We are utterly relational, both in our humanity and our shared life on a finite planet. And it's helping our children and young people to see that uh, we are interdependent. I think our culture can sometimes be very individualistic um, and particularly um, in terms of generational trends, um, Gen Z, uh, it, it, the, the trends are towards individualism. So let's use this idea of climate justice as a way of looking beyond ourselves, of seeing that interdependence and of helping them to, to, to look outwards. And in terms of simple actions, obviously the, the, the show the love that I shared already. Um, Christian Aid has some, some great projects that used to be called Letters for Creation and now it's moving into a, a broader creativity um, project that you can take part in uh, to think about climate justice. And that's something um, you, you were involved in yourself, actually, Fanola. Um, and um, also being aware of, of COPS, COPS, something I've just mentioned, if you're not aware of that. So COP stands for Conference of the Parties, and it's a yearly um, kind of get together of the United Nations uh, leaders to talk about climate. And so you might have heard of the Paris Agreement. That was an agreement made at a COP. Um, and two autumns ago, we had we hosted COP here in the UK in Glasgow. And that was another project that uh, I got involved in with the pupils at my school where um, Christian Aid and, and uh, were encouraging people to create little paper boats and to write their hopes or prayers, reflections about climate on those little boats and then send those boats to Glasgow to create a display um, for world leaders to see. And so every child in school, right from the five-year-olds up to the 11-year-olds, created their boats and they wrote a prayer or a wish or a hope or a reflection about climate and each of them again saw that they had a voice but then when they added their boat their voice to others that we had lots of boats and then we thought about how that was multiplied across the country by lots of schools or churches or other organizations that were were joining in with that so actually giving them a voice giving them some agency helping them to take some action can also help to counteract some of that eco-anxiety and help them to see that they have agency and that we can work together to make a difference. Oh, that's brilliant, Caroline. And I think it also supports what you said earlier about, you know, how we definitely don't want our young people to be, you know, in a spiral of despair with this. And it, it could easily sort of be overwhelming, couldn't it? And, and for them to be taking on that huge burden responsibility that they cause the issues. And instead that you know, you're advocating a much more hopeful approach, which is wonderful, isn't it? And and really encouraging our children to imagine a different kind of future and what part could we play then in building that future that we want to see. And and as Louisa said, you know, that storytelling and 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 really this is such a joy to sort of be able to draw in the creativity, the storytelling, the artistry, and really be proactive in creating those opportunities for our for our young people. And all, all through the Courageous Advocacy document, you pose some absolutely fantastic questions. And Louisa, these questions are right at your street because it's just the best of philosophy, I think. And I've just scribbled down one of, um, I mean, they're all fantastic, but there was one that stood out, which I think 
is is just such a brilliant philosophical question to sort of pose at all levels and it's I'll share it now. It says, do you unintentionally present a victim narrative of injustice? And how should we select the images, the stories, the scenarios, news reports, so that everyone is afforded dignity and respect? So I don't know whether, Louisa, you want to jump in and perhaps have a go at discussing this very, very tricky question that Caroline posed in the document, uh, but one that I think is really key for schools. Yeah, I mean, I'll certainly have a go. Um, I, I think I always like to reflect on uh, the philosopher Martin Buber and how he talks about relationships. And he talks about this sense of I-thou and I-it relationships. It's everything that Caroline and yourself, Fanola, have been talking about, about working alongside, being alongside people, valuing people for who they are, for their worth, to move away from this sense of tick box, tick box culture, to bring about a relational transformational approach. And I think the Church of England's documents that Caroline's just mentioned, their vision for education really tackles uh, this so well through the lens of wisdom, hope, community and dignity. It's a real sense of togetherness and an understanding that life is messy, life is complex, there isn't a, a one-fits-all response um, and policy. And it's how do we ensure that when we're talking about these things and in response to that question, my goodness, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a question back or a sense back, I think, is that as Aristotle talks about, an excellence of character is a state concerned with choice. And what we are driving as educationalists is to ensure that our young people have a choice. This isn't talk about feelings um, or mere tendencies, capacity um, to just be, but it's so much deeper and richer. Um, so a cop out in my response here, um, in as much as I might say, it's probably when a tricky question is posed, it's always better to respond with a trickier question. And I love that the uh, rabbinic model uh, and method of the Jewish faith uh, tries to understand the tricky question by uh, responding with a trickier one and this sense of walking the land, um, teaching as as they talked and as they walked and using pictures and metaphors to try and explain something which is often unexplainable. So I think that's quite a philosophical response to a quite meaty uh, question, which I'm really looking forward to Caroline answering. <laughs> <laughs> Over to you, Caroline. <laughs> no, Louisa. It's been a while since we've seen each other, but uh, <clears throat> um, great questions. Um, uh, obviously, I uh, I don't have all the answers, but um, <laughs> I think that for a lot of this, it's also about putting the questions back to the children and young people um, and getting them to critique uh, the actions that you already take. Um, some really striking research was done uh, about 10 years ago now uh, by a, a, a group that were looking at how children in ages 10 to 12 um, saw development education and how it affected their attitudes to global majority heritage people. And um, they were looking at a, a, a Lent campaign from a particular charity 
and uh, that was focused on um, collecting money for an African country. And um, the, the striking results were that children in the focus groups understood the Africans portrayed by the campaign as hopeless, primitive, intellectually inferior others. If you're interested in, in finding out about that more, it's called The Return of Black Babies, How Development Education Affects School Children's Attitudes to the Majority World. You can find that online. Um, I was so struck by that hopeless, primitive, intellectually inferior. And that the question that I've posed in the, the document is really getting to the heart of that, that for so long, our um, our model of charity uh, has been is a colonial model. It is a model of going to um, in inverted commas civilize places, and unfortunately, um, Christian faith and uh, and colonization have gone hand in hand. And that so lots of the legacy that we are left with here in Britain has been about um, uh, because of our socialization has been that we here in the UK, we understand how the world works and, and, and we have the answers and we can help you, whoever you are. Um, and the fact that our children have those attitudes that they have inherited from uh, us adults is something that that I really want to kind of tackle in all of the work that I'm doing. This kind of overarching cultural narrative of whiteness as the norm and of um, of of white saviorism, of that kind of looking down perhaps on other cultures, um, and then furthermore in that research. Uh, the indication was that that's the imagery that pupils were were seeing from of people and how they were portrayed overseas fostered like a social distance towards ethnic minority pupils in their own classrooms. So global majority majority heritage pupils that we have in our classrooms then feel even more isolated, and are um, and white young people are. Are, those stereotypes are being reinforced. So when I'm asking that question, do you unintentionally present a victim narrative in, of injustice and how do we select images and stories? Um, I, I'm trying to move beyond the kind of traditional picture. You know, we in so many schools I've been in, they talk about Africa as if it's a country, you know, and so in, in early years, they're going to learn about Africa for a half term. And I think, wow, how are you going to manage that? 54 countries in a half term. Um, and we they have Africa days where they will talk about, you know, African music and African um, food and African culture and, and all of that. And you think, well, will African food, well, from which region in which country in the continent of Africa? Would they do that with Europe? And, and so I, I'm going a little bit more broadly than the question, but um, helping us, uh, helping our pupils and, and our teachers, us as adults, to think differently about the narrative that we have inherited, often from charitable works of things like um, Band-Aid and, and so on, that portrayed a particular picture of a whole continent and that narrative has now stuck that that is the continent of Africa um, and that 
and this kind of this culture of 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 donor beneficiary relationships of a, of that real power imbalance that really needs to be challenged and a lot of my work is helping people to think through what they're teaching how they're teaching why they're teaching it and and for me um the methodology the how they are teaching any of these issues is as important as any action they might take and so another of my questions that i ask is are you actively challenging stereotypes or are you perhaps unintentionally reinforcing those stereotypes and for me uh, i want our pupils to understand and our adults to understand that my flourishing is tied up with the flourishing of everybody else and um and, and i too love a quote um a great quote by leela watson who was a, an aboriginal elder and an activist um in the the 60s and 70s in australia um the there were lots of protests by aboriginal peoples about this long-term racism um that had been going on in australia obviously their aboriginal people their land had been taken from them and their rights had been taken from them um and as as the white australians eyes began to be opened a bit more to what was going on and these long-term injustices they began to come to um the these aboriginal groups to say well what do you need what can we do how can we help and and leela and her family and and others in her um in the aboriginal groups were getting frustrated by the kind of colonial overtones of some of those questions and she responded with if you've come to help me you're wasting your time but if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine then let us work together and so for me it's about helping our children and young people to understand that our that my flourishing is tied up with your flourishing, Fanola. It's tied up with Louise's flourishing. It is tied up with the flourishing of others. And that in order for me to flourish, I need to work for the flourishing of others and the liberation of others also. So I don't know if that answers Louise's hard questions, but um, she can pick up from there if she wants. I think that was brilliant, <laughs> Caroline. <laughs> Gosh, I'm, I'm learning and being introduced to so much sort of so many new quotes and different ways of thinking. It's really inspiring tonight. And I'm sure our listeners um, are agreeing to certainly from all the thumbs up and great show and positive comments um, being texted in, which is lovely. So, gosh, thank you for that, Caroline. And interesting what you said about flourishing, because that, that word is used a lot, Louisa, isn't it? And Caroline, in the context of well, certainly church schools and, you know, it's often said there's very few flourishing children or you're not going to, you know, have flourishing children if there aren't flourishing adults. And then, you know, as you said, Caroline, it goes beyond that as well, doesn't it? Because we're, we're looking at, um, you know, everybody flourishing and that real concept of Ubuntu and togetherness and interconnectedness and, you know, we're stronger together and, and really people really do need to work together and understand each other um i think is key i love that quote let us work together that's another one i've just um put down in my notebook to share um with school this week <laughs> but uh, louise i don't know if you wanted to pick up on anything that caroline said or, or support it or yeah of course i think that it's it's really important that we also um celebrate some amazing work that's taking place 
um, and some amazing opportunities. It was really great to see that um, the uh, University of Birmingham, who I mentioned previously, the Jubilee Centre, they have um, written a document which just come out this year and it's for um, teachers new, uh, new teachers to education, uh, to teaching. So it's called Character and Initial Teacher um, Education, a Practical Guide. Because I think when you are um, used to working with young people, when this is an area that you are interested in, courageous advocacy, character education, RE, collective worship, sometimes this might be uh, more straightforward perhaps um, in your practice. So I was really uh, heartened to see that this has been taken seriously um, as an area of a practical response for teachers. So that's out there that uh, new teachers can find out more about because we are making assumptions all the time. And we know uh, as teachers that what you get for your teacher training, brilliant in many, many areas, um, but it's a very short um, snapshot. And then you're in the classroom living this stuff out. So the reality is quite different. Um, another friend of mine, who also is at um, Durham with Caroline and I, but he was uh, a, a little bit older. Um, he'll be very cross to me saying that. Is a gentleman called Sean Harris. Um, and he's brilliant. And his PhD at the moment is looking at poverty um, and thinking about crack crafting a curriculum with poverty in mind. I think his Twitter handle is uh, Poverty Guy, but Sean gives some really sensible on the ground experiences and therefore examples that we can use um, in the classroom, leaders and teachers and um, families, parents, carers, just because sometimes we have this tendency to be looking out and thinking about national and global opportunities to be agents of change, to be courageous advocates. But often we forget that poverty is at home. And for many of our young people, being able to acknowledge and to be sensitive to the challenges of the financial crisis in which many of us are uh, entangled means that we are pastorally aware and enabling conversations which encourage everybody to be a part but don't um, create a, a framework where we isolate people because of cost. So Sean does give some excellent ideas and he does challenge these, these ideas that we've had or, or um, initiatives that we've had and just to say look a little bit closer, think about your context um, and I know Caroline just mentioned this about how you are delivering, but it's going back to that question of vision, knowing your context, knowing your school and your community and knowing their needs. It's very easy otherwise to, to broadly brushstroke and to forget that some of our families are um, finding themselves in challenging situations. So I love the practical ideas that he brings and I'm really delighted to see that uh, the University of Birmingham is prioritising teacher education to help teachers and leaders to be able to share their ideas and to learn um, not just on the ground looking backwards but looking forwards yeah that's brilliant isn't it definitely um worth a follow fans a fascinating um initiative that's going on and really really good to be supporting new new teachers um and I'm think you know only this morning I spotted a discussion on Twitter now known as X about you know all the different roles that teachers and leaders in schools have you know 
The latest proposal, as we heard in the news bulletin about, you know, schools now supervising the brushing of teeth and, you know, our listeners will be only too well aware of all the different roles that we often hold and the different hats, teacher, counsellor, first aider, data analyst, well, assessor and analyst and actor, librarian, tooth fairy, sports coach, school crossing patrol, singer, musician, the list goes on and on, doesn't it? But what we're talking about is just so brilliant and and you know I'm just thinking about head teachers thinking oh gosh you know it sounds it sounds wonderful and and how am I going to prioritize this and and is it too easy to sort of think well I'll do it next year when this this and this is over and I've got a bit more time what what would you be saying both of you I suppose to um, listeners tonight who are thinking I've got so much to juggle at the moment why should I prioritize character education and courageous advocacy start on that finola that would be great thank you louisa (laughs) of course um well the research suggests that however we term this whether we term this character education whether we talk about flourishing and transformation whether we see courageous advocacy as a part of this or as a bigger picture the number of intrinsic and extrinsic benefits are vast so this isn't an add-on this is at the heart of what we are doing certainly in the classroom but hopefully in society as well and the jubilee center talks about this idea of character but that can be uh, seen to be much broader in a sense of ethics and virtues ethos and vision as being something that can be caught it can be taught and it and it should be sought as well so i think there's there's a tension between a naturalness to all of this Um, And at the same time, for teachers and leaders to make sure that when they are thinking about the school and their community's needs, that their response is planned for and it's a conscious response. Um, And then I think you do reap the benefits. So this isn't an add-on. This is something at the heart of everything that educationalists should be doing. And hopefully we're starting to see the real impact of that. I know I certainly am in our diocese. Um, which is um, incredibly encouraging and young people who are engaged, who have a voice, who want to make a difference and who have a purpose. And surely that's the goal um, for us as educational practitioners and hopefully, um, as I said, a greater society as well. Absolutely. No, definitely. And, and, you know, just coming full circle now, I started the show saying that I was very fortunate recently to be um, challenge with really sort of considering my my why and and you know I said of course we all want to be sort of fantastic teachers as and as good as we can be and we want children to be at the center and you know a rich curriculum and learning and achieving but really you know the why should be you know what kind of children do we want leaving our schools and you know um we want them to be you know fantastic human beings don't we with a real sense of giving back to the world and really being empowered um as caroline said earlier to really be looking at that injustice and saying well hang on a minute that's not right and i'm going to speak up about that and do something about it and that if we get it right in schools going to become second nature and surely the world's going to be a better place filled with you know people who have got that approach so i don't know caroline if you've got any final words you'd like to add to um the discussion tonight Wow, no pressure, hey? Um, I loved <laughs> what both of you have just said, absolutely. Um, for me, um, 
again it's not about an extra thing it's about the lens through which we see um what we are already doing um for all of our schools no matter what our context we will have a vision um for our church schools it's theologically rooted christian vision um for schools aren't church schools you will have a vision you will have something that you are aspiring to something that gets you out of bed in the morning something that gives you purpose something that shapes and molds what you do and ultimately that that vision however you describe it will be to uh enable enact the flourishing of hopeful young people that when you young people leave you that they um, will be going into society as both Louise and, and you Fanola have said to be um, active global citizens and that is both local and looking further away and for me it's about thinking about how can our vision drive us through what we're already doing to see things a little bit differently how can we enrich the educational experience by empowering our young people to think critically about the big issues in their local area in their in in our country and globally how can we enrich their education by enabling them to be involved in decision making by giving them a sense of ownership by helping them to understand how the world works and why a particular action might be better than another action. How can we help them to think critically through a range of options? How can we help them to address causes um, as well as symptoms? All of those things for me are just about adding that extra dimension to what is already being done in our schools. We know that schools are such busy places. We know that head teachers and teachers and TAs and everybody who works in schools has run off their feet and they need another 10 hours a day to do all the <coughs> things they would love to do. But for me, it's about adding value to what you're already doing and not doing a new thing, but using this idea of, of of as louise has been talking about character education and um and courageous advocacy for me as a vehicle for that or as an outworking perhaps of that of giving our children and young people hope um hopeful adults will will hopefully um breed hopeful children as well and for me I want to very much say in the midst of all of the, the issues that I've raised tonight and that Louise has raised and uh, but particularly some of the challenging things that I've said, I want to say in the midst of that, that there is hope and that um, there is hope and agency uh, for all of us and that this work is, is some of the most important work that we will do as educators um, to give our children and people hope that in the midst of all of the things that are difficult in our world, all of the, the crises, all of the, um, the things that they are seeing and hearing on, on social media and from adults around them, that in the midst of all of those things, there is hope and that they can take action to enact some of this hope for a hopeful vision for our future for the future of our world and our society and um and the flourishing of one another oh that's wonderful thank you so so much you know i've absolutely loved talking to you both it has been a real privilege and i, I can't thank you enough and all I can say is all the young people in the schools and the teachers and leaders that, that get to have some time um, with you and to hear your really powerful and really 
you know, messages of love and messages of hope are so, so lucky to have you. It's been a real inspiration and your passion, both of you, your expertise, your enthusiasm and your care and just love for this has, has just shines brightly. So I thank you from the bottom of my heart because it's been such a wonderful 90 minutes with you both. I've learned so much and I know from just looking at the chat every now and again that you, that you have inspired a lot tonight. Um, and of course, the show will be available to listen back to. So it'll be around for a long time to come. And so please point people towards it, because I think there's a lot to reflect on. There's a lot to unpack and discuss in this. And and I hope you've enjoyed it because I have absolutely loved talking to you both. Thank you so much. It's been great fun. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.